This is KGNU's Morning Magazine. It's Thursday, August 17th of 2023. I'm your host, Shannon Young. Coming up on today's program, allies of the oil and gas industry are challenging new Bureau of Land Management rules in Congress. A new state audit says that the Marijuana Enforcement Division has not been doing enough to prevent some dispensaries from selling cannabis to the underage. That story and more on the Cannabis Report. Then, Radio Nibbles host John Lindorf will be in the studio with a guest to chat about an upcoming wine and jazz festival in Netherland. After the bottom of the hour BBC News update, it's From the Archives to the Air. On this month's edition, John Kellen sits down with radio preservationist Josh Shepard. Then at 9.30, Shauna Sprouls will be in the Boulder studio for the Morning Sound Alternative. That's all still coming up, but first, it's time for the headlines with KGNU's Benita Lee. Part of I-70 in Glenwood Canyon was closed for a few hours last night following reports of mudslides. The National Weather Service issued a flash flood advisory as a thunderstorm dumped rain in the area at around 5 p.m. By 9 p.m., the Colorado Department of Transportation had reopened the corridor between Dotsero and West Glenwood. The Denver Catholic Archdiocese is suing the state of Colorado after they were deemed ineligible to participate in the state's universal preschool program. KGNU's Ivana Levis has more. St. Mary Catholic Parish in Littleton, St. Bernadette Catholic Parish, and the Denver Catholic Archdiocese argue that their exclusion from participation in the preschool program violates their First Amendment rights. The lawsuit was filed against Lisa Roy, the executive director of the Colorado Department of Early Childhood, and Don Odeen, the director of Colorado's Universal Preschool Program. Discrimination based on a child's religion, sexuality, or gender identity forbids schools from participation in the Universal Preschool Program. The Catholic Schools Administration prohibits transgender and gender nonconforming students from enrolling in their programs. Same-sex parents of children who attend the schools are also allegedly treated differently from heterosexual parents. The lawsuit says parents who enroll their children into the Catholic schools agree to adhere to the Catholic worldview and morals. They claim this does not count as discrimination, but rather exercising their freedom of religion. For KGNU, I'm Yvonne Olivas. The Jefferson County District Attorney's Office has charged a 20-year-old man with multiple counts of aggressive sexual behavior on local hiking trails, including indecent exposure, unlawful sexual contact, and criminal attempt to commit sexual assault. Suspect Glenn Braden of Evergreen is accused of targeting women hiking alone on trails on several separate occasions, reported between April and August. Braden was arrested on August 8th. According to Nine News, an affidavit says he admitted to his behavior but argued that he could not control his impulses. Braden is due in court on Thursday morning. He's being held on a $100,000 cash-only bond. Colorado-based flight attendant union TWU Local 556 has filed suit against Colorado Governor Jared Polis, the Colorado Department of Labor, and Southwest Airlines. KGNU's Pam Johnson has more. 
The lawsuit filed Monday says that the state agreed to stop investigating sick leave complaints from Southwest's unionized workers in Colorado. This agreement goes against the state's investigation of the airline, which revealed that Southwest had previously refused sick leave for employees and for children of the employed, as well as penalized workers for using sick leave time. That investigation led to a hefty $1.3 million fine against the airline, but the settlement reduces that fine significantly. The union is asking a Denver judge to throw out the settlement and rule that the union's workers are covered by the paid leave law. It also wants the court to reinstate and investigate workers' complaints. Spokespeople for Polis and the Labor Department declined to comment yesterday, according to the Denver Post, because the lawsuit is ongoing. The airline previously argued that its collective bargaining agreement exempted sick leave from the law, but the Labor Department has already rejected that claim and said that it was, quote, resoundingly clear that Southwest's existing collective bargaining agreements were not sufficient to comply with state law. For KGNU, I'm Pam Johnson. A Boulder Research Institution famous for its atomic clock technology is celebrating its first major renovation in decades. The National Institute of Standards and Technology, or NIST, will host a ribbon-cutting ceremony today with Colorado Senator John Hickenlooper, Governor Jared Polis, and Congressman Joe Neguse participating as speakers. NIST's Boulder campus was built in the early 1950s. The renovated Wing 5 of Building 1 now features 16 cutting-edge laboratories for research that will advance timekeeping. Colorado officials tasked with evaluating the controversial names of geographical sites are meeting this evening. The Colorado Geographic Naming Advisory Board was established by Governor Jared Polis to make official name-changing recommendations. Tonight's meeting is expected to review name changes that include Devil's Head to Thunder Mountain, Redskin Mountain to Mount Jerome, and Chinaman Canyon to Toizan Canyon. A slight chance of showers and thunderstorms along the Front Range today, gusty with increasing clouds later in the day. In Boulder, a high near 92 and a low around 66. In Denver, a high near 95 and a low around 68. In Fort Collins, a high near 93 and a low around 63. For KGNU, I'm Benita Lee. You are listening to The Morning Magazine on KGNU. I'm Shannon Young. Two measures introduced in the U.S. House and Senate could nullify the Bureau of Land Management's new rule that aims to rebalance the agency's management approach to include conservation and restoration in addition to other multiple uses like energy development and recreation. Eric Galatis has more. 
Two bills making their way through Congress could throw out over 216,000 public comments on the U.S. Bureau of Land Management's new rule, which has come under fire from the fossil fuel industry for putting conservation and outdoor recreation on par with extraction on lands owned by all Americans. Madeline West with the Theodore Roosevelt Conservation Partnership says she supports the agency's plan to restore millions of acres of degraded public lands. Lands that, if improved, could be better for agriculture and grazing production, could provide higher quality habitat for species, could provide better access for recreation, including hunting and fishing. House Resolution 3977 and Senate Bill 1435, which call for the BLM to stop gathering and to discard public input on its draft public lands rule, could get a floor vote when Congress reconvenes after Labor Day. The American Petroleum Institute claims the new rule violates the BLM's mandate to manage public lands for multiple multiple uses and to prioritize the nation's need for domestic minerals, including oil and gas. Over 90 percent of lands managed by the BLM would remain open for mining and drilling under the new rule. Chafee County Commissioner Keith Baker believes the industry's concerns are overblown, pointing to a recent report that the nation's oil output will hit an all-time high in 2023. So I don't think our petroleum industry is really in any near-term danger of being crippled by giving conservation and rec- creation an equal par with the more extractive traditional industries. Conservationists say public comments largely in favor of the BLM's proposal show that Americans care about healthy land, water, and wildlife and want to see these values endure for generations. West believes the new rule provides the tools needed to manage a host of 21st century challenges. The spread of wildfire and the cycle of invasive annual grasses and fire exacerbated by drought. We have modern management challenges and the BLM has old, outdated regulations guiding how they can respond. This is Eric Galatis reporting for the Colorado News Connection. And now it's time for the Cannabis Report on KGNU Community Radio. I'm Hannah Lee Myers, and I'm joined by longtime cannabis correspondent Leland Rucker. Leland, thank you so much for being here. Always good to be here. So it looks like all eyes are on the MED, the Marijuana Enforcement Division right now, for some criticism they are receiving. Can you fill us in on what's going on? Yeah, there's a new state audit, and it says that the MED, the Marijuana Enforcement Division, has been doing its job improperly. Um, A parent group pushed for the audit after learning that some dispensaries were selling to kids who admitted they were underage. Now, I don't know about you, but the dispensary I use wouldn't be selling to the underage. These would have to be new places. But the state auditor says the Marijuana Enforcement Division didn't do underage compliance checks or even inspect many dispensaries for four years. And the parent group is called Blue Rising Together. And they initially pushed for a bill last year that would have required at least one underage sting operation per dispensary per year. But that died in the Senate committee after all but one lawmaker voted against it. That would have been crazy. Um, the Don Renfield, who is the executive director of Blue Rising Together, and this is a group that's against guns and marijuana for young people. That's their basic thing. And she says, we don't have compliance checks and we're not certain that these stores are not selling to kids. And you remember... 
the state, in order to head this off several years ago, put the problem in the hands of parents because the parents are the ones that are buying the high-potency products and, in some cases, not keeping it away from their children. They could also get it from somebody else who has a card. But according to the audit, the MED has conducted 723 underage compliance inspections so far this year in 2023. That's 723 compared to 573 in 2021 and 2022 combined. So Renfield pushed for the audit along with state senators Chris Hansen and Kevin Priola after an open records request found the Liquor Enforcement Division had done 25 times more underage compliance checks as the Marijuana Enforcement Division in 2020, even though it had half as many full-time employees. And the state auditor made a number of recommendations aimed at increasing inspections and compliance going forward. I'm hoping they can work these out. Uh, More than one in three new retail marijuana stores, or 40 out of 112, were not inspected within a year of being licensed. It also did not inspect about a third of the stores targeted for inspections, or 182 out of 567, either because they were new or had not been inspected for two years or more. And this audit, it looked at divisions, the division's activities between fiscal years 2019 and 2022. And statistics cited in the audit show a precipitous drop in targeted inspections and underage compliance in the fiscal year beginning in July 2020. And we all remember what happened that year. And they haven't quite recovered since then. And the examples are... They're non-statistical. They can't be projected to the population, according to the audit report, but they're valid for confirming inconsistencies in their enforcement processes. And I think that that's fair enough. The audit found that the division was not checking every store prioritized for inspection of underage sales, though it did check most of them. About 88% of the stores prioritized were inspected, and that left 75 shops that weren't. The audit also found inconsistent citations for stores found to violate underage sales laws. In a review of seven incidents where an underage operative was able to gain access to prohibited areas or buy marijuana, again, this is not going to happen in most places, but six stores were cited for failing to verify age, five for allowing access to a restricted area, and three for dispensing marijuana to a person without a valid ID. And in a public response to the report, the MED says it appreciates the audit. It looks forward to implementing its, its recommendations. However, the MED also notes, and this is important, that the COVID-19 pandemic affected its ability to conduct in-store compliance actions and that other inspections were conducted at dispensaries, even if underage sales checks were. And according to the MED, underage inspections are not reflective of all the measures it takes. And the MED cited investigations into advertising and packaging that may target children and teenagers, as well as probes into black market diversion. And product and consumer safety are also top priorities, the division said. And the division noted that since May 2022, it's conducted more than 600 checks for underage sales and found a 99% compliance rate among retail marijuana stores. 
and a spokesman for the Marijuana Enforcement Division deferred to the bulletin for its response to the audit. So I, I think the thing to take away from this is that the MED is not doing its job in some cases, and that it's good that we have an audit like this to show where those problems are. Yeah, really surprising story, considering how regularly we're hearing about how hard the MED is pushing some of the uh, regulations and pretty strict compliance with some pretty strict rules, and to see them compared to alcohol enforcement and to be falling short there is is surprising. So thank you, Leland, for bringing this to our attention. We'll keep watching and see what happens with the MED. Thank you so much, Leland. And you can catch the Cannabis Report here on KGNU the first and third Thursdays of every month. For KGNU, I'm Hannah Lee Myers. Time now for Radio Nibbles. And John Lindorf is here in the studio with a guest to talk about wine jazz but not weed <laughs> Take it away. That, that is true we were just saying you know maybe someday there will be a uh, a jazz and and cannabis festival and uh, but uh, today is not that uh, is not that day uh we're in the studio today with uh, stephanie stephanie andelman uh from the um netherland jazz and wine festival welcome thank you um, and uh, give us a general idea of what, what the event is. So this is uh, next Saturday, right, the 27th? It is the last Saturday of August, the 26th, and it's in Chapita Park in Netherland with beautiful views and 42 booths on the field and six hours of live jazz. And um, what's different about this year than last year? A few things. We have many more booths that are pouring unlimited tastings, both of wineries distilled in addition to distilleries, breweries, and non-alcohol vendors. We also have a VIP section, and we have the sommelier from Postina pouring special wines there and taking everyone through a guided wine tasting. I assume that includes sitting in the shade? It does, by the pond. That, that alone uh, is <laughs> worth it right there. Uh, if you uh, go through the list of uh, the vendors who are pouring, it's quite amazing, and... Uh, what I'd say is that uh, many, many of these places don't have tasting rooms or they, they're not near here, uh, but they're some of the best in Colorado. And this is really a, a rare opportunity to go ahead and uh, sample a bunch of these that you, you, know, you otherwise wouldn't have any uh, access to. Uh, one of my f- favorite uh, wineries in Colorado, Alfred Eames, is going to be there. They really do uh, an excellent job, win tons of awards. Another one is Jack Rabbit Hill. Uh, I believe those are organic. Uh, Biodynamic. Or- bio- organic wines. They also make uh, um, hellacious uh, uh, spirits. Yes, uh, Caprock, and this year they're bringing a cider there too. Oh, great. Well, that's great. Uh, we have mead. Um, and, and Boulder is uh, well represented, uh, September, September, I'm not sure how to pronounce September it. September Cellars. Yeah. Right. Is there, uh, and also, uh, I'm, I'm so happy. People don't realize Colorado has a, a, a sake is made in Colorado and, uh, it's actually quite good. Yeah, Colorado Sake Company is out of Denver. They do have a tasting room and they do a few festivals a year. So we're really lucky yeah. to have them come. 
So you can walk around, uh, listen to jazz. Uh, we're not going to talk about, you know, I'm, this isn't a music show, so we're not going to talk about the music, but there's, there's, there's a, lo- a lot of uh, live jazz at different uh Parts of in in different parts of the field, right? We have one stage and we have three acts, and they're playing for six hours straight. So you can walk anywhere in the field and hear the music. Great, and um, we also have uh, a number of uh, cool non-alcoholic vendors, and I think that's important because uh, sometimes uh, either you don't want to drink that much or you want to go with somebody who wants to take in the scene and and still you know have a beverage yeah uh, na the whole na movement's a big deal these days so we brought boulder juicery groovy beverages and they actually have a non-alcohol wine which and that, i can't and wait that's, to try uh, if you're wondering that's uh, g-r-u-v-i not uh, not the other spelling not of, getting gro- down. of groovy uh kombucha coffee drinks, that kind of thing. And then um, I'm happy to see uh, there's, there's a good selection of uh, food. Well, there's some, some food vendors that are sampling, but others that are um, selling. But the, it's, uh, it's a nice uh, selection of folks, including, uh, of course, Tip Top Pies. <laughs> mm, I love their savory pies. And they have ice cream, too, all influenced by New Zealand. And also um, Muko Cheese, which for my... For my money is is one of the best uh, cheesemakers in Colorado. They make uh, really wonderful soft ripened cheeses, camembert, that kind of thing. And they also, uh, if you're from the Midwest, you understand what what cheese curds are, and they are one of the the places where you can get you can get fresh cheese curds. I have to go to their tasting room in Fort Collins and try that. Um, talk a little bit, uh, this is all, it's all a wonderful event, but it, it's, it's to raise, uh, money and awareness, um, uh, for a particular organization. Yes. The Netherland Area Seniors is the beneficiary. They were last year and this year, and they help the Netherland Area Seniors who are all along the peak to peak with food assistance, checking in on them regularly, bringing them together for social events, taking them out for social events. It's really a network to keep them active and engaged. Is it like Meals on Wheels or is that a separate function? That would be separate, but Netherland doesn't have that. So they have weekly meals where they come together and then they bring meals to them if they are mobility challenged. Right. And I I assume it helps... Seniors uh, find access to uh, resources uh, in the area, whether it's uh, food programs or uh, care facilities or all all of that stuff. Yes. And several of them will be at the event and their executive director will be there helping. And we raise money with a percentage of tickets going to them, as well as we have a prize drawing and you get an automatic prize drawing ticket with your ticket, but you can get another one there and 100% goes to support Netherlands, these seniors in Netherlands. Let's go back to the distilleries. Yeah. Tell me about 300 Days of Shine. It's a moonshine company, a monument. Really? And it tastes so good. Now, samples are going to be the actual spirits into your glass. Two ounce pour. Maybe it's very high alcohol content, a one ounce pour. They, I went to another event where they were at, and I had a few pours because it was that good. And they will also make cocktails. Right. And, uh, of course, yes, Caprock is going to be there. Um, And also uh, Dirty Dill. Dirty Dill. That is a 
pickle-inspired liquor. And you can add that to <laughs> your cocktail or you can have a shot of it. And I had a brunch and it was on the menu. And the brunch, basically, if you got certain things in the brunch, it came with a free Dirty Dill shot. I liked it so much, I called the company. Well, I would think you could. Uh, that would make a wonderful Bloody Mary. Mm-hmm. And really, it goes well with pancakes. <laughs> Are there pancakes involved, too? Yeah. Uh, there might be pancakes, but it would be like a savory type of pancake from Kaleidoscope Kitchen or Corduroy's, our okay. other food truck. And some of the food is from Nederland suppliers? Yes. So the Nederland-based companies that we have with booths are Peace, Love, and Cake, Burning Bridges Hot Sauce, and then Kaleidoscope Kitchen Food Truck. And Eldora is one of the sponsors, and they're bringing their own food truck as well. And um, what else do folks uh, need to know to uh, to get tickets and get ready for the uh, event? So it's 11 to 6. 11 to 5. Or 11 to 5, and it's next Saturday, not this Saturday. Right. April, excuse me, I wish it was April, but no, August 26th, the last Saturday of August, and nedjazzwine.com has all the information with the ticket header there. We still have tickets left. We expect to sell out in the next five days or so. It is a fabulous experience. When you walk in the door, you actually get right away value in merchandise of the price you paid for the ticket, but then all day you get to try different things, like you said, food as well as wine. And you get to hear music. That is so wonderful. It sounds like uh, really a, a wonderful time in the park. This is the Netherland uh, Jazz and Wine Festival. Second annual Netherland Jazz and Wine Festival. And um, you can find out more at? NedJazzWine.com. Thanks for coming in. Thank you, John. And you can hear more about Radio Nibbles from past podcasts at news.kgnu.org. That's it for today's Morning Magazine. I've been your host and producer, Shannon Young. Thanks to Benita Lee, Yvonne Olivas, Jacob Agatston, Pam Johnson, Jackie Sedley, Eric Galatis, Hannah Lee Myers, Leland Rucker, and John Lindor for their contributions to today's show. Stay tuned for From the Archives to the Air. That's coming up just after the BBC News Headlines.